It's the most all-star studded challenge ever. And this time, it's every competitor for themselves. Best challenge ever! The Challenge All-Stars. New season now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. Hey there, it's Gary Parish. It's Sunday, February 14, 2021. Happy Valentine's Day. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting, dodo birds, and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me, and I want to start with Sunday's return of the Michigan Wolverines. They played a basketball game back on January 22nd. They won it, improved to 13-1, and won. Then the program got shut down because of COVID concerns on campus. The Wolverines didn't play for 23 days, a long time away from a basketball court, but they returned Sunday with a game at Wisconsin on America's most watched network, the Network of Stars. Michigan looked rusty early, trailed by as many as 14 points in the first half, down 12 at the break, wasn't great. Second half, different deal. Outscored Wisconsin 40-20 in the final 20 minutes and won 67-59 inside the Cole Center. Dead leg. Would you like to apologize to Tom Brady's alma mater for picking against them this afternoon? It was disrespectful, foolish, and damaging to your reputation as a college basketball prognosticator. No, no. I mean, I'm 26 and 23 on the year. You're now 22 and 27. So I'm, I, I got this one wrong, but big picture, I'm still riding high while our listeners. Somebody's living in the past. I'm focused on the present. they're fading your picks and making money which is all that matters here so i picked wrong was looking nice and comfy at halftime though and then god damn they flipped him over (laughs) great job by michigan there huge win and uh, the committee rightfully yeah michigan (laughs) flipping over wisconsin they did though they capsized him no doubt about it and uh listen the committee had him in number three when the bracket reveal came out saturday afternoon it was uh the rightful spot wasn't too bullish. Michigan goes out and proves the committee right for the teams that were in that top 16 reveal wound up losing this weekend, but it was not Michigan. I thought we were going to get five. Uh, no, no Surrey defensively. They were wonderful held Wisconsin to 20 points in the second half. And it was like 0.62, 0.63 points per possession in the second half for Wisconsin, which made only one of its 13 three-point attempts, while Michigan on the whole just looked wonderful. Isaiah Livers had a game-high 20, Hunter Dickinson 11 points, 15 boards, and five blocks, uh, continuing his campaign as a top-five freshman in America, and he stepped up big in the second half. I thought it was extremely impressive. The first half was completely acceptable for Michigan, considering the long layoff, and then, frankly, Juwan Howard and that team got itself together and knocked off a Wisconsin team. I did say this on with you on HQ after the game, to me, I would put Wisconsin in kind of the same bucket as Missouri right now. Teams that are going to get to the NCAA tournament, they'll probably have uh, a single digit next to their name when they get there. But too much evidence at this point for me to really trust them. Big picture going forward. To me, the game was more about Michigan winning the way it did in the second half, and it was super impressive. And that's the third best team in America right now. Just in case it's not clear... Um, that I'm being somewhat facetious. There's nothing uh, ridiculous about picking Wisconsin to win this game. The game was a pick And obviously, after the first 20 minutes, no, it looked it, like the best. It was ridiculous. I, I know. I don't care what the line was. It was ridiculous. Okay, I'm owning it. No facetiousness needed. Okay, I, I was an idiot. Well, here's the thing. Um, we talked about it pregame on CBS Sports HQ, and we were asked, like, what do we expect and it's like, who knows? I mean, like, there's evidence that cuts both ways on how teams respond to being off for three weeks. I mean, we've never done this, to my knowledge, in a season, you know, where teams could just be off three weeks. 
And so for Michigan, it was 23 days. So you go, okay, what does that mean? What have other teams done? Well, Gonzaga went on a COVID pause, came back and bombed Iowa. No problem. And then there's like St. Louis went on a COVID pause, came back, took back-to-back quadrant three losses. Didn't look nothing like the same team. So you just don't know. And then for Michigan, it was actually interesting. They come out first 20 minutes, looked terrible. Wisconsin shot 54% from the field, 71% from three. 100% from the free throw line. And then the second half, Michigan holds that exact same team to 20 points in 20 minutes. Wisconsin was up 53-48 with 7.27 left. And then Michigan closed on a 19-6 run over the final 7.26. The score was tied 59-59 inside of two minutes. Michigan closed on an 8-0 run in the final 149. Hunter Dickinson, 11 points, 15 boards, just a monster. Incredible footwork dominated Wisconsin front court players. And I'm with you. I had, I think we talked about this on Friday. I've had people, it might be the same person, you know, tweet me every once in a while with the top 25 and one, like you have to drop Michigan. Uh, they haven't played in forever. And I was just never going to do it. Like I'm not going to punish somebody for being on a COVID pause. And I was um, pleased that the NCAA tournament selection committee didn't punish Michigan either for being on a COVID pause. They were a one seed in the bracket reveal uh, on Saturday. But I think our buddy Rob Doster has gotten into this um, habit of making a point that there is no third best team in college basketball. But I, and, but I respectfully, I would argue there is, and it is Michigan. You just ain't seen them play in a while. But they're now 8-1 and one in the first two quadrants with the lone loss coming in quad one at Minnesota. They're now third at Ken Palm with an adjusted efficiency margin of plus 29.40. Do they belong in the same conversation with Gonzaga and Baylor? Maybe not. But is there a third best team in college basketball? Yes. Who is it? It's Michigan. Yeah, and if you want to – we have to say Michigan right now. What's interesting, and I'll and – when the stuff refreshes on Monday morning, strength of record, which is a resume-based metric there, it actually has Ohio State ahead of Michigan coming into Sunday. I would think Michigan's going to jump there, but I'll be interested to see. But it's got to be Michigan 3, and then it's got to be Ohio State 4, and then I don't know what you want to do after that. I mean, you know, Illinois did walk into Pinnacle Bank, got to win, so it, got, it walked in. I mean, it, it, did, did that walk involve a bit of a scenic route? Sure, but... Walked in, had, I don't know, we've reached, reached the point here where I had like 20 people in my mentions. When that but I can't tell you how many Pinnacle Bank uh, tweets I had, I had locked and loaded. I was, it was Friday night. I was in my office by myself. I was locked and loaded for a Pinnacle Bank upset. I was hashtag Carol Hoiberg. I was, oh, I, was I was ready to go, and it just, it just, it didn't we happen. got Desumud. in a major, major way. And the, what's wild about that is that Nebraska, like they came close, and then they win on Sunday. We don't need to dedicate any time to this other than this statement here. They lose at home at Pinnacle Bank, which they always do, and then they win at Penn State to get their first win in 27 Big Ten games. They went on the road. They went on the road. Nebraska, well, happy for you. You got that win. But, yes, Michigan 3, Ohio State 4, Illinois 5, and I would put – I think that's I would. I think that's how I would uh, rank out the top five right now in terms of overall resume. And if anything, um, it should give uh, – Fans of those teams, a lot of optimism because I think, especially after this weekend, Michigan winning the way that it did, Ohio State again winning as we expected, not even close against Indiana. Uh, Big Ten's got a great shot, a great shot at having two of the uh, two of the four number one seats when we get to Selection Sunday. 
I mentioned that Michigan's adjusted efficiency margin updated is now at plus 29.40. That is the third best in the country. Gonzaga now, we had this time where it was Baylor was number one, and then it was like they were within a point of each other. Now it's Gonzaga number one at plus 37.64. Baylor is plus 34.93. Gonzaga's adjusted efficiency margin at this moment. If the season ended today, and it might, you never know, we're in a pandemic. If the season ended today, Gonzaga would have the highest adjusted efficiency margin in the history of the Kimpom database. But it's not the highest in the midst of a season. We've had two teams before actually crack plus 40, according to Pomeroy. The 99 Duke team, and I'm not even going to trivia time here, 99 Duke and 01 Duke, both in the middle of their seasons, got plus 40 in efficiency margin. Goes to prove that doing it once you get to tournament play is really how uh, you got to try and settle. But Gonzaga's got a shot here, trying to get that all-time Kentucky record. And Baylor's just suffering at the moment from not having played any uh, any games. So there's a little bit of separation there with uh, with Gonzaga and Baylor. As previously detailed on the pod, and I had this in the court report about a week and a half ago, and this is still true, Gonzaga and Baylor separating from Michigan from an efficiency margin standpoint is still pretty wide. And in fact, right now it would be the second largest margin between the second and third team pre-NCAA tournament in the history of Ken Palm there. But good on Michigan, 14-1 and one, coming off a 23-day pause and winning the way it did defensively. Just huge. Wisconsin, you got issues. I don't think I can trust this team. I did once call this team the most reliable team in the Big Ten. Again, I got to own it. Idiot right here. Not going to run from it. Uh, Michigan's next game now is scheduled to be on Thursday against Rutgers. What remains to be seen since we're kind of hitting on this uh, motif here right now, GP, is they lost the Illinois game from a few days ago. That got postponed. And if I'm the Big Ten, I'm doing everything I can to make sure that Michigan and Illinois play each other because the game was scheduled. These are clearly, you know, two number one type teams for, for in terms of seed lines and stuff. And so for the benefit of schedule equity, equity, Big Ten tournament seeding, overall NCAA tournament seeding, and Illinois fans, frankly, are desperate to play that game. I hope that we get Wolverines, Eli and I, in the regular season at some point. It's a matter of if and where they'll squeeze it in. So bottom line, uh, Michigan returns, looks bad for 20 minutes, looks great in the second 20 minutes, wins, improves to 14-1. and one. Welcome back to the sport, Wolverines. It's nice to see you again. There are a handful of power conference teams that are overachieving relative to preseason expectations and are now in the top 10 of my top 25 and one. I'm specifically talking about Ohio State, Alabama, and Oklahoma. All three won this weekend. We're going to get into that next, but first, check this out. Did you know that while over 60% of Americans dream of starting their own business, less than 20% of them take the first step? The reason? Building a business is tough. Taylor Brands is simplifying the business journey. From launching and managing to growing your business, Taylor Brands isn't just another tool. It's your online business partner from launch to success. With Taylor Brands, building your dream business becomes an effortless experience. Their comprehensive platform guides you through every step, ensuring you have everything you need in one place. From LLC formation to bookkeeping, invoicing to acquiring licenses and permits, and even setting up your bank account, Taylor Brands handles it all seamlessly. And our listeners will receive 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans using our link, taylorbrands.com slash CBS Sports. That's T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A-N-D-S dot com slash CBS Sports. So start your business journey today with Taylor Brands. 
What's up, y'all? This is four-time NBA champ Andre Iguodala. Yo, and this is his best friend, the Ohio State legend, Evan Marcel Turner the first. Every Wednesday, we drop a new episode on our show, Point Four. We're talking basketball, business, and all the culture in between. From locker room stories to some basketball analysis from those who've been in the game. Now, it is a do-bet. Do averaging 29 and 11. God, what did it take to be an all-star? A win. Subscribe to Point Four, the podcast, so you don't miss a thing. So there are a handful of power conference teams that are overachieving relative to preseason expectations and are now in the top 10 of my top 25 and one Ohio State, Alabama, Oklahoma, specifically all three won this weekend. Ohio State pounded Indiana 78 59. Alabama beat Georgia's brains in 115 82. Oklahoma edged West Virginia 91 90 in overtime. None of these teams mm-hmm. were picked higher than fifth in their league in the preseason, but Ohio state is now fourth in the top 25 and one after being picked seventh in the big 10 preseason poll and only being ranked 23rd in the preseason AP poll, Alabama now seventh in the top 25 and one after being picked fifth in the sec preseason poll and only being fourth among others receiving votes. So 29th in the preseason AP poll and Oklahoma is now eighth in the top 25 and one after being picked sixth in the big 12 preseason poll and getting zero votes in the preseason AP poll. Norlander, I think you would agree with me that if Gonzaga's Mark Few and or Baylor Scott Drew go undefeated, they have to be the national coach of the year. So let's take them, set them to a side. If you couldn't go with Few or Drew, would you pick coach of the year right now from the list of Chris Holtman, Nate Oates, and Lon Kruger? And if so, who would you go with? Um... Uh, I actually just had to send in my finalist for coach of the year, uh, or not finalist, but I guess midseason, whatever it is. And I had to give 15, and obviously all these guys were on the list. Uh, if I can't be the top two, I think I think Holtman would get my vote right now. He, guy just doesn't get enough credit. You know, <laughs> Chris Holtman does not get enough credit, and Lon Kruger, by the way, not oh, that dude, that was behind. That was the one that started popping this weekend. Not Lon that. Kruger, you know, I don't think enough people talk about Lon Kruger. I'm like, do it. We're here to fix that right now, right? But now. by the way, it's the people like who was that? Was that Gottlieb? It who was. tweeted that? It was. Okay, like if people don't talk enough about Lionel Kruger, well, you're one of the people. <laughs> you, you've got a voice. <laughs> you're you you've got a prominent voice in college basketball. Talk about him. Oh my, oh my God, Parrish. Hmm. Whoa. Okay. I got this text that just came in. Hold on. This is a power. Oh my is it a God. high major coach? This is a power conference coach. Ooh. You're not going to believe this. Hmm. Says, did you watch the Michigan game today? I think this team can win the national championship. Oh, hold on. Hold on a sec. Let me put that in my notes, do please. We, do we need to stop this podcast right now and go back and record it from the start? And, I mean, this and, is- and make it clear from the jump that we also believe that Michigan could, win the, could theoretically win the national championship, being the third best team in the country at this moment. And that's big. That's big stuff right there. That's that is that's something else. That's something else. How about that Lon Kruger? No one talks about him. I would pick <laughs> And I, I don't mean it specifically about uh about Doug or you know, I, I think Goodman Goodman was the Chris Holtman one. Yeah. It's just like we are the people who talk about these things. If you don't think somebody gets talked about enough, just talk about them. 
Exactly. You know what? I used to think Terry Teagle doesn't get talked about enough. Now I think he maybe gets talked about a little too much sometimes. Okay, fair enough. (laughs) Okay, good deal. Fair enough. Uh, I would go Holtman uh, by a narrow margin at this point. Ohio State has eight quad one wins. That is the most in America. Gonzaga has seven, and then no one else uh, has more than six right now. Um, So... All of these teams were unranked in the preseason AP Top 25, right, GP? That was a stipulation you had with this? No, they were. They, Ohio State was ranked 23rd in the preseason AP poll. Okay. But now they're in your top 10. C- correct. I, the- I, I, just, I just pulled three power conference teams that are in my top 10, and that will be in the top 10 of the AP poll come Monday, that are wildly overachieving relative to preseason expectations. None were picked higher than fifth in their own league. Yeah, I'd go, I'd go Holtman there. As a as a refresher, um, Ohio State was fourth in the committee's reveal. It won, so it did well. Bama was seventh. It won, so it stays good standing. And then Oklahoma was 12th. West Virginia was 10th, and then Oklahoma went on to win. Just goes to show you, by the way, um, like that's a fun little deal on Saturday, and it was a some good insight to what they were doing. But four teams lost. Like So much can change, specifically below the one lines. Um, so keep that in mind. I will share a quick tidbit that I also had on HQ and have in my Sunday takeaways. If you are a fan of one of the four one seeds, then you should have a lot of optimism going forward because every single year we've done this in February, which started in 2017, three of the four one seeds in February were one seeds on Selection Sunday, and that was supposed to be the pattern last year as well. The only flip was... I think Dayton hopped in instead of San Diego State, and that was the change. But otherwise, Gonzaga, Baylor, and Kansas were one seeds in February last year. They obviously would have been one seeds going in uh, had we had a 2020 tournament. And the three times that we did have a tournament, uh, one of the one seeds wound up winning. In 17, Carolina, 18, Villanova, 19, uh, Virginia. So, Gonzaga, Baylor, Michigan, Ohio State fans, recent history would just kindly nudge and suggest that you've got a really healthy shot at winning the national championship this year. The Buckeyes right now, I wish wish a high major coach. I I, I, listen, I'll take your word for it, but I would prefer if a high major coach could text me that. Uh, Listen, the night's still young, sweetie. So we'll have to, uh, we'll have to wait and uh, wait and see about all of that. But Oklahoma, uh, Oklahoma is probably the one to like, I, I put this in my takeaways. I, if they continue to get these really high-level wins, then they're not going to be like this Final Four sleeper. You might still be able to get in on them now. Like I haven't checked the latest futures if you're into laying down some cheddar on national championship winners. But 17th in the net heading into Sunday, GP. Oklahoma, 5-5 five and five in Quad 1. It doesn't have a loss outside of Quad 1, and it has really good high-level wins. I would I would feel like that would be a, a, a true team with real value that you can get right now and could be kind of a, a final four dark horse. Cause they're always just a little bit off the radar there. And they're unquestionably, unquestionably a top 10 team. Bama continue. I mean, Bama's the only, I think I said this on the pod before Bama's the only team you can trust in the sec. I mean, Tennessee goes down to LSU and we'll get to that in a few, but Bama's just the only one right now from a bracket perspective that we could say from that league that you can trust to make the second weekend, which is, which is, Kind of strange considering, like, it did have three teams in the top 16 reveal, but I'm, I'm sorry. Like, I just I can't trust anyone else aside from the Tide right now in the Southeastern Conference. I'm picking Alabama to go to the Final Four as long as it's not in the same region with Gonzaga or Baylor. It's my favorite team. Now, Bama was in the region with Gonzaga, I'm, I'm, if memory serves correct, right? So that's, that's, that's a problem as of now. But, yeah, I hear you. If, they're not, if they don't wind up getting there, I can see that. And what they did on Saturday was exactly what I've talked about, why they're the t- 
type. They're not only the type of team that can go to a Final Four. They're the type of team. There are some teams that I genuinely believe, even if they play their best, they cannot beat Gonzaga. And even if they play their best, they cannot beat Baylor. I mean, there's some top 15 teams that I think, even if they play their best, they're not beating the Zags and they're not beating the Bears. I think Alabama could beat either one if it played its best. And the reason is exactly what we saw on Saturday and exactly what we've talked about for, it feels like over a month now. They are so committed to a very specific style of play that when they play well, they can bomb you. They're now, I don't know if you noticed this, number one in adjusted defensive efficiency. Top defense in America belongs to the Alabama Crimson Tide. They're now ninth in tempo. So the style of play is just dangerous. They're super fast. They really guard you, and they're going to launch, on average, 33s on you. If they're hot, you're dead. If they're not, they can still beat you. And against Georgia, they were hot. 18 of 30 from three, 60% win the game by 33 points. That is scary, even if you're Gonzaga Baylor, if you know this team is going to get up and down the court with you. You know they're going to guard you. They're better defensively than you are. I mean, at least statistically speaking at this moment. And they're going to take 33s. And if they are hot, it's hard to keep up. That, That is the most dangerous team in the country, not named Gonzaga or Baylor, is in my opinion, Alabama. Uh, dangerous. It doesn't mean necessarily that I think they should be ranked third, or I think they should. Be I a hear one what you're right saying, now. though. I got. I'm you. just saying if if they play well, there are there are there are teams that if they play well, I don't think they're good enough to win the national championship. If Alabama plays well, like if Alabama gets to a Final Four and then plays well, an A level game, it can beat Baylor and it can beat Gonzaga. Yeah, by the way, uh, Region 1 in that bracket reveal, super fun from the top four perspective. Gonzaga, Bama, Oklahoma, who we're just talking about, top 10 team, and then Iowa as the, as the four seed, and we know its top end on offense can be as good as just about anyone in the country there. So that's, you know, that's not probably not how it's going to wind up. Uh, we're one month from Selection Sunday, by the way, but uh, it's, certainly, uh, it's certainly plenty of fun to think about. Uh, just for some context, I did go look at the preseason Kimpom rankings and compare them to where they are right now with Ohio State, Alabama, Oklahoma, the three schools we're talking about. Ohio State was preseason number 10 at Kimpom. So the AP voters had them low. I also had them low, although I had them 18th in the preseason top 25 and one. So I didn't have them as low as the AP poll, but I had them too low. Ohio State was 10th in the preseason. They're sixth right now at Kimpom. So four spots better than they started. Oklahoma was 32nd in the preseason at Ken Palm, and they are up to 21st right now, so 11 spots better. Alabama was 46th in the preseason at Ken Palm, up to number eight, so 38 spots better. If For whatever it's worth, if you go by the Ken Palm ratings, the team that has overachieved most out of these three teams we're discussing is Nate Oates, Alabama Crimson Tide. There we go. All right, what else from the weekend? Let's do a little let's do a little tour here, GP. What's kind of sticking out to you? Yeah, well, okay. Well, there was lots of notable results. I'll just pop through them real quick. You can take it wherever you want to take it. As previously mentioned, Illinois won at Pinnacle Bank on Friday night. That's a quad three win, but boy, it feels like a quad one to me. Feels like a quad one to me. Creighton bombed Villanova one by six time, uh, 16 inside the CHI Health Center Omaha. Michael Carter-Williams' brother had 25. Virginia insured 
UNC could not celebrate maskless for the second straight Saturday. They beat the Tar Heels by 12. Arkansas won at Missouri. I moved the Hogs into the top 25 and won. Iowa beat Michigan State by 30 at the Breslin Center. Tom Izzo described himself as, quote, embarrassed. Tennessee lost at LSU by double digits. Five-star freshmen didn't play well. That was a problem. And Loyola, Chicago, and Drake split a couple of games this weekend. Loyola, Chicago blew the Bulldogs out on Saturday. Drake won in OT on Sunday afternoon. Take it where you want to take. All right. Um, in order of what you just mentioned there, we touched on Illinois. I have a th- I'll have put the link in the pod description. Um, let me just ask you this real quick. Io DeSumo versus Luca Garza, Big Ten Player of the Year. It's closer than people think. Yeah. I'm still leaning toward Luca Garza, yeah. but DeSumo was awesome. Come on. Inside Pinnacle Bank. He- One of the all-time great performances by a visitor inside Pinnacle Bank. Without a doubt. Right now, here's how they stack up. Garza's at 24.5 points a game. DeSumo's at 21.7. Rebound-wise, Garza's got him 8.4 to 6.2. Assists, it's not close, though. DeSumo's 5.1. Garza's 1.8. And then Luca's at 1.6 swats a game. DeSumo's 1.1 swipes. From two-point range and three-point range, Garza's got it. 59.3 to DeSumo's 51. And then from beyond the arc, it's 43.1 for Garza and 40.3 from DeSumo. If you need those stats again, you can click on through the pod description and read as you listen to us talk here. I think it's a real discussion, though. Um, first of all, DeSumo is the first player since Evan Turner in the Big Ten to be averaging 25-5 and five at least. When Turner did it, he won National Player of the Year. And really, for all intents and purposes, if DeSumo's chasing and nipping at Garza's heels in the Big Ten, then he's doing also the same at the national level. And Illinois ranks higher in the conference standings, ranks higher in all of the metrics there. It's uh, To me, it's, it's Garza right now, but it actually is a real race with three weeks to go. You agree? I do agree, and I do. I could envision Io being Big Ten Player of the Year, and also by if you're Big Ten Player of the Year in this season, you got a chance to be National Player of the Year by definition. And if Iowa, some of this is team related, as we've talked about before. If you want to be National Player of the Year, you you usually need to be a statistical monster on a very good team. Obi Toppin was that last season for Dayton, a great player, statistical monster for a team that was going to be a number one seed in the NCAA tournament. If Iowa, you know, goes the wrong way in these final few weeks and finds itself, you know, ranked outside of the top 20 or even unranked and Illinois is looking like a one seed and Iowa still performing at this level. Absolutely. It could, it could flip around. He was again, awesome on Friday night. He got Illinois final 10 points in regulation. They were down six with two thirty-six to go. This is when I, I was even fine, dude. I know you were, I, you were crafting. Yeah, I know. I was saving pictures of Pinnacle Bank. I had pictures of Pinnacle Bank saved both in the daytime and at night. I mean, I was into it. Man, I spent, I, I wasted too much time studying Pinnacle Bank on Friday night. So Illinois down six with two thirty-six left. He scores the final 10 points in regulation to force overtime. Then he scored their first five points in overtime. So he had 15 straight for Illinois, just took over, finished with 31, 22 of them came after halftime. Just monster performance. I understand the opponent, uh, but nevertheless, great stuff for Illinois. Keep an eye on that going forward uh, with those two. Creighton winning the way that it did, I thought was highly significant. Credit to Rob Anderson, uh, Blue Jays uh, stud SID. He uh, he sent out since 2013-14, only eight times as a Villanova opponent shot at least uh, north of 56%. And 
four of those eight times have been the Creighton Blue Jays. They tend to have really strong performances. That's a nice little, you know, I understand kind of nationally, even though both teams are relevant, it doesn't really flare up. It's like, oh, Nova versus Creighton. It's coming up this weekend. But they actually ha- they have a tendency to play some really, really nice and memorable games there. For Creighton, um, it just puts itself in a nice position to get a really good seed going forward if Marcus Zagorowski can continue this. So I think the context is important. Has surgery a year ago, comes back, but he's basically out till mid-July. And then... Uh, he was out in the preseason again with some uh, some lingering uh, issues and then had a hamstring problem like a month ago. So he has really not been fully healthy. If he's fully healthy now, it changes the dynamic of that program. And for Villanova, just kind of big picture, I think barring the Wildcats winning out, and that includes a, a Big East tournament championship, I think the loss, even though it's completely respectable, um, given all the other competition for the one line, this probably means that Nova's really seeking toward a two seed uh, to get a one. I think it's going to have to win out there. So that was my big takeaway from, uh, from that one. Um, any particular thoughts on that game or you want me to keep rolling? Well, I'll keep I mean, Zigarowski goes big and just carves Villanova up, especially in the second half. And you know, it's not a make or break. Like both these teams are in the NCAA tournament. Both these teams are going to get good seeds, but we talked about this at some point over the past week. I believe Creighton's got three quad three losses at home. Like they're, they're there's not another team in the top 25 and one that's got three quad three losses. And so, you know, you can't do anything about them now, but you can try to get big signature wins um, to make up for it. Like if you're going to lose games, you're supposed to win. The best way to offset it is to go win games. You're supposed to lose. And they were an underdog at home on Saturday. So to win that game by double digits, again, it just balances out the resume a little bit. Arkansas beats Missouri, and we said what we needed to say about Missouri on the last podcast. Here's my question for you. Listen, first of all, it's Arkansas's first win over an NCAA tournament-level team yet this season. Played a bad non-con. That's actually a very meaningful win for the Hogs there. Woo pig suey. Uh, Must go shirtless afterward in celebration. No shirt, but a mask. Got to respect that move. My question is, what needs to happen, uh, Cutie, for you to rip off your shirt bare-chested in celebration? What's got to go down for you to, for that to happen? Were you going bare-chested Friday night if Nebraska won? Is that what I was that going to happen? I might have. You would have. Might have. I think you would. I think you know what? I think you were like half nip. I think you were half nip with about a minute to go. You just couldn't quite pull the trigger. I don't like uh, being topless. Even in the shower, I'm uncomfortable. I, I don't enjoy it. I have I swim like shirts. being topless even in the shower? I don't enjoy I mean, I do it, you know, because it feel like you have to, but I don't enjoy it. I don't enjoy it. I have swim shirts. I'm not trying to die of UV rays. You think I'm trying to die of UV rays? Okay. So you're By the way, if you're, if you're ever ashamed of your body, you don't have to like wear t-shirt into the ocean like a cuz then you're like an idiot but if you wear actual swim shirts and then you can just say i'm not trying to die of uv rays i'm just trying to protect my skin you can sort of sell it a little bit so that's what i do i own several swim shirts listen, like six listen of all bit. colors i have white and black red and blue whatever color you need i got it listen sugar on this valentine's day edition of the podcast you have nothing to be ashamed about with that body of yours, okay? There's no shame whatsoever. You're a well-built man. I hate myself. Okay, you're a well-built man. Well, glad we covered that part of it. I have- no, like when, when I see Musk go topless in the locker room, some people laugh. Some people might roll their eyes. My first thought is there is no scenario I would ever do that. 
No shot. All right. Fair enough. Unless Nebraska gets a home win in Pinnacle Bank over a top five team. Then I have to go then yeah. I have to go topless on HQ. <laughs> I was gonna say like maybe on the pod when we go to video, but if you want to try and pull it off on HQ, I'm not going to stop no, you. No, it, it, this is this is the this is the new deal. Oh boy. Nebraska upsets a top five team inside Pinnacle Bank. I immediately text Chris Hassel and say, <laughs> get behind the desk. Come straight to me for reaction. <laughs> and rather than <laughs> all I've got is my IFB clipped on the back of my neck. Oh my my bare neck. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, couple more here. Couple <laughs> if you were watching HQ and I was breaking down Nebraska's upset with no shirt on. <laughs> <laughs> Just, yes. Oh, boy. Oh. Uh, I'm so happy that I am able to provide these visuals. I knew bringing up Musk taking off a shirt would pay off. Um, before I get to Loyola Chicago Drake, I'm going to mention two results that you didn't bring up that were important. Uh, VCU wins over Bonna to get to 15-4. and four. It's now 32nd in the net. That's huge for their at-large chances. Big Friday night result. And then probably the best or most needed non-Drake win of the weekend was UConn. Also, like, Drake did not have its best player. And UConn, again, did not have James Booknight. The Huskies go to Xavier. Previously, two lost Xavier. They get the win. UConn, by nature of the victory, keeps itself in the NCAA tournament conversation. They won 80-72. It's the second quad one win for UConn this season. I would argue it's its best. They also have a neutral court win over USC. USC is the better team, but it had book night. This was without book night on the road in a really big situation there. So credit to the Huskies. They at least stay in the tournament conversation. I wouldn't put them in the field just yet, but by getting that, I think they've got a, they've got a decent shot there. Um, UVA over UNC. I was just wondering if UNC would keep it close. They don't even score 50. It's the first time in the history of that rivalry uh, that Virginia's held a seven-game win streak against Carolina. So good on Virginia. It's got a distant chance, I think, at a one seed. If it doesn't lose again, it's clearly looking to be the class of that conference. And then Loyola-Chicago-Drake, that was the best possible outcome for the Valley in period. Because Loyola-Chicago rolls on Saturday, Parrish. Because of that... Gets into the top 10 of Ken Palm right now, still number 10, even after the loss. I just refreshed it when we started the podcast. Even with the loss logged at Ken Palm, top 10, number 10 behind Virginia and ahead of Villanova. And then for Drake to get the home win, it's going to register as a quadrant one win. So both of those teams are now going to be one and one in uh, in the top echelon there. And they're going to keep the chance of a two-bid valley alive. Apparently, there was some bad blood at the end of it. I don't know if the post-game press conferences would have revealed any more information. Obviously, we've been podcasting since that game went final. But give me this in the title game. I'll tell you this. If both I these, watched the end. I didn't see anything. I didn't see anything either. I don't know what was going on there. No idea. But, you know, they, they the lights went off. It was like a Drake concert for there for a couple minutes. So I don't know what got lost in translation with the, with the darkness and the, and the lights. But if these teams don't lose again until... The league tournament, I think they're both going to be in. And I'm not even saying they got to both face each other as the one and two seed in the title game. I think if they can both go and not lose again, Loyola Chicago is 18 and four. It's got three more scheduled games against the Valpo Pacers on Wednesday and then home against Southern Illinois twice. That's three straight home games. If if Loyola can get to 21 and four and be like a top 10 Ken Palm team, they're I, fine. They got to be fine. Now, just to be clear here, the predictives love them. Entering the day, they were 14th in BPI, 10th in Ken Palm, 34th in Sagarin's a little lower. The results-based metrics um, 
KPI 42, strength of record 38, and the net is, to me, that's just a blend of both. I, I think they're still good. For Drake, the, Drake, the committee is not going to lo- leave out a, f- what did you say, four-loss team? It would with- be a five-loss team because if they lost one more time. So it would be a five, let's say it's a five-loss team and it's 19th in Ken Palm. Let's just say, let's be reasonable. I still don't. They're not leaving that team out. I would they ag- shouldn't yeah. leave that team out. I would agree with you, uh, which is, and if it, by the way, if Loyola had won this game today, then I, without a doubt, it would not even be a question because they would have had another quad uh, one win in that stake. Drake is now 20-2. and two. It's got a tougher road ahead. It still has four, five more scheduled games in league play. Three of them are on the road, including two at Bradley, which is good enough to beat Drake. So it's actually imperative for Drake, in my opinion, to not lose again until the Valley Tournament. If it can win all these five to get to 25-2, and two, then I think it can lose anywhere in the Valley Tournament, and it will still clearly get in. That was a huge weekend for the Valley, and in terms of results and the way the games happened, I actually thought it happened perfectly. Remember, Drake does not have its best player, Tank Hemphill, foot surgery. If he returns the season, the earliest that they project he could come back would be the start of the NCAA Tournament, so that was a big one. That's the problem for Drake, is that they've got losable games on their schedule, and they don't have their best player. Um, the reports are that he could... Re- uh, First off, broke his foot last Wednesday against Northern Iowa. Surgery on Thursday. So they did the surgery as quickly as he can. Two weeks, resume activities, possible return to games in four weeks. So you're going four weeks from last Thursday. That's March 11th. Title game of the MVC tournament is March 7th. So he's likely done, as you noted, until the NCAA tournament at the earliest. And again, there's no guarantee Drake's going to get to the NCAA tournament right now. Just one and one in quadrant one, four and zero oh in quadrant two, but they got that quad three loss that came at the Homer and Janet Drew Center, so that's tough. Um, I do think there is a scenario where both Loyola Chicago and Drake get in, but if you're the MVC and you're trying to map that right now, you want Drake to win your auto bid and Loyola Chicago to get an at large because Loyola Chicago is going to have a much better chance at an at large than Drake. That is likely the case. Drake was 40th when the day started. We won't know the net ranking, and I'm talking net when it, until Monday when it refreshes. My guess, this is a blind guess. I'm going to say Loyola, which was 10, is going to drop down to like 14, and Drake will go from 40 to about 35. Uh, and it's got seven road wins. So here's the big thing. It can't lose in the regular season again. It get 10 road wins. That stuff will add up and will help in the uh, in the second quadrant there in particular. So I think it's imperative, and it's going to be tough, obviously. But they still have a shot there. Uh, if Drake had lost at home to Loyola Chicago, um, it would have basically had almost no at-large case at all. But getting the win was highly significant. And, uh, yeah, that was a nice little uh, game. took forever. I mean, we started podcasting 30 minutes after I thought we were going to. But, uh, but nevertheless, Drake, UConn, VCU, some of the biggest bubble-level wins that we saw over the weekend. You mentioned Virginia has a chance to get a one seed. You, you're right. Uh, the, like the, that resume is starting. As I was going through the top twenty-five and one late Saturday night, it's it's sort of surprised me a little bit that the resume looked as good as it looked. At Saturday night, it had it featured zero quad three losses, and then Sunday morning, that San Francisco loss flipped back mm-hmm. to quad three because Gonzaga beat San Francisco by a billion, a hundred to sixty-one. So. Right now, the Cavs are 8-2 and two in the first two quadrants with a quad three loss to San Francisco. None of this stuff matters as much as it sounds like it matters, but I do think it's, it's notable. USF, uh, San Francisco, they were 97th in the net on Saturday. So it was a Q2 loss on Saturday for Virginia. Then Gonzaga beat San Francisco's brains in. 
USF dropped to 101st in the net. So that makes it a quad three loss because the cutoff for a neutral court game is 100. 100 is a Q2. 101 is a Q3. USF went from 97 to 101 after losing to Gonzaga. So that wasn't ideal for Virginia. Not the biggest deal in the world, but having a clean quad three, it just looks cleaner. It just looks better. And right. so uh, if you're a Virginia fan and you really want to get in the weeds, like you need to root for San Francisco to get back into the top 100 um, of the net. Uh, we mentioned Luca Garza, Io DeSumo. Um, they are the obvious candidates for Big Ten Player of the Year, perhaps for National Player of the Year. Luca, it's weird. You wouldn't assume this. Iowa beats Michigan State on the road by 30. Luca Garza was just okay. Three of 11 from the field, eight points. It was the worst loss for Tom Izzo at home in his head coaching career. And so now in the same year, we got Bill Self suffering his worst loss inside Allen Fieldhouse ever. Tom Izzo suffering his worst loss inside the Breslin Center ever. Mike Krzyzewski already has four home losses for the first time in 14 years. We've touched on it, but like that's pandemic related. There's no way these teams are getting their brains beat out at home. Um, by these margins, if they had the home court advantage they usually have, uh, I agree. That was that was the notable thing with that game. Luca actually had a bad game, brought his stats down, makes the race with Io that much uh, closer, and in the process, worst loss in the history of that building and for Izzo at home. And Michigan State's at large chances have now evaporated. They need to win the Big Ten tournament. You want to get to some Apple Podcast reviews? Let's uh, let's l- let's do it, cutie, and let's do it in a let's do it in a GIF here. I got some Valentine's Day dinner awaiting me here. This one comes from Drew. This one comes from Drew. He ran. He 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 ran into your brother. Okay. Which one? Henrik. Okay. Oh, <laughs> I've been waiting for this. I've been waiting for this dude to win a golf tournament for eight <laughs> years. Here's what Drew wrote. He said, I happened to run into Norlander's brother, Henrik, while he was warming up on the range at Pebble Beach Pro-Am today. He sent this on Thursday. (laughs) As he was leaving the range, I made sure to let him know I was a big fan of the pod, and he said he would pass the word along. (laughs) He then proceeds to ask me if I have any cash to spare, (laughs) and I gladly threw him some cash, but couldn't help but wonder why this tour golfer would need cash from a college student. Turns out, GP and Harold Varner III had cleaned Henrik's clock and skins the day before, and he was flat broke. Henrik did respond well to his adversity hour by firing a 64 in the opening round of the Pebble Beach Pro-Am, leaving him just two back from the lead. Here's hoping he can finish high enough to financially recover from the beating he took from GP and HV3. How often do people bring up Henrik Norlander to you? Not often, but it's happened a bit more now because he's he's creeping. He's creeping on these leaderboards, but he's been around for a while and I'm waiting for my, my homie to get this done here. Let's go. Let's wrap the Norlanders around the world. Unfortunately, he faded on the weekend. He did fade on the weekend. I'm trying to see exactly where he finished. Oh, no. Tied for 26. He shot a final round 73. Dead leg. No good. Daniel Berger, your winner out at Pebble Beach. Daniel Berger, first win ever on the PGA Tour. Where where did it happen? Uh, TPC Trivia time. Trivia time. TPC Southwind. TPC Southwind is correct. Daniel Berger's second ever tour, tour win. Where did it happen? TPC Southwind. That's true. He won back-to-back tournaments. It's his first two twins ever, and now he's just added um, 
added a, a win at Pebble Beach. You ever want to play Pebble Beach? Is that like on a bucket list thing for you? It is. I've played Torrey Pines out there in California and San Diego, but uh, never Pebble. Kind of hard to get on, I feel like. Um, but I don't think. No, I actually don't. I don't think it's that hard. It's it's like five hundred around. I, I play it. Yeah, that's that's definitely. I mean, the course. Me and my ridiculous. buddy, me and my three buddies that I play with all the time have have sworn that we're going to go this summer. That we're going to go play this summer. All right. The most notable one I've ever played is Kiowa Island. The ocean course at Kiowa Island. I think the PGA Championship is there next year. So I've played that one, but I've never played Pebble Beach. But I'm going to try to knock it out in 2021. Next Apple review. This one comes from <laughs> someone who labeled, who, who described himself as, as uh, two-year-old Tony Hinkle. First off, a disclaimer. I've been privileged to work with both Matt and Gary as part of my work in college basketball. And the vibe they have on the pod is just like talking with them in person. The pod feels like I'm sitting at the bar with friends talking college hoops, which is perfect. Whether you're a first-time listener or have been doing so since the Goodman-Borzello days, this should be one of, if not the, first stop for college hoops fan. So this is somebody we know, but they did not They did not publicly acknowledge themselves but i take that as a compliment that is exactly what i want the podcast to sound like like two friends talking and the same way we talk in real life like the only difference between talking to me in real life and listening to this podcast is that you i got your shirt off in real life you got your shirt off and i would have my shirt off that's exactly right like when i used to go out pre-pandemic every once in a while i'd meet a stranger and you'd just be talking randomly and they'd go oh, you sound just like you sound on the radio I'd be like, what, are you, what did you expect? Like, I, I don't have a fake radio voice and then another voice in my own personal life. Like, this is, I, I try to, I try to, on radio, just sound like me. And apparently, according to at least one person who knows this in real life, uh, it comes across that way on the podcast. So uh, I'll take that as a compliment. Thank you for leaving that. Last one comes from Chuck's, it looks like. And here's what Chuck's wrote. Love you guys, Pod. As a former hooper, so it's a so, former baller, uh, as a former ho- hooper, it is so insightful to hear people actually use stats instead of use superficial, gaudy numbers. My favorite pod was listening to you guys talk about the holidays and you guys' sarcastic quips, diction, and grammar policing is hilarious. Without this pod, I would be stuck listening to the awful caricature of other pods. One note, though. I would love if you could stop coming after my guy, Jeff Goodman. You do not want to get on his bad side and be on the end of one of his Twitter, Twitter rants. Do we come at Jeff Goodman? Coincidentally enough, this was the same exact one that I picked out. Um, we're not going to stop. We're going to continue to poke and prod our buddy, Jeff Goodman. And I appreciated this. Uh, I appreciated this review. And listen, he just he sets himself up for it. Plus, we know that he doesn't listen to the podcast. So that makes it even more fun. The fact that he's completely unaware of all this because he's busy, you know, making bets every morning and doing his own deal there. So, uh, you know, it's it's completely uh, it's completely fine. By the way, um, I picked this one specifically because I'm going to toss out uh, a quick grammar tip to people. So I've noted I notice on occasion people use the word notorious incorrectly. Okay. Notorious has a negative connotation for it. So you would not use this phrase like this. It would be incorrect. Gonzaga is notoriously one of the best teams in the WCC. No. Notorious, it has a negative quality to it. It means like infamous. Infamous doesn't mean you're well-known. It means you're well-known for doing something very bad. So um, this gets misused a lot. When people use the word notorious, when they want to, when they think they're saying something might be noteworthy, it might be a... uh, 
a bit of a, a malapropism, if you will. But I appreciate the grammar note on that. We were overdue for a, for a new one. And so keep it in your back pocket going forward. Tell me if I use this correctly. Jeff Goodman is infamous for unnecessarily picking a fight with Jerry Stackhouse. That would be correct. <laughs> the current, Why is he picking current. a fight with Jerry Stackhouse? I have no idea. Not currently blocked by Jerry Stackhouse. Am I'm not I, either. In fact, I followed am, not by... Not only am I not blocked, I'm followed by I, Jerry Stackhouse. I, I, I too am followed by Jerry Stackhouse. Jerry Stackhouse is getting a no-context preview picture on this, by the way. Why not? I'm pro Jerry Stackhouse. I'm I'm st- I'm still a I'm going to be a believer. I will say when he worked in the G League and uh, worked with the Grizzlies, he was here in Memphis for a year. I think he had a good reputation. People spoke well about him. Walked into a tough spot there, and uh, Vandy's not that good. But we'll see if he can get a turnaround. All right, we ready to get out of here? Let's go. <laughs> shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry MF and Teagle. Legend, shouts to Larnell. Thank you guys for once again listening to the Ion College Basketball Podcast in the middle of the dumbest pan, dumbest <sighs> pandemic I've ever lived through my whole life. It's gotten so dumb I can't even say it correctly anymore. If you enjoy the podcast, please go subscribe anywhere you subscribe to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts. Do that, and we will talk to you again on Wednesday morning. Till then, take care. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball. And baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does, (laughs) nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.